The uh, scripture reading today is Psalm 53, verse 2. And so if you would turn there with me. That's Psalm 53, verse 2. And again, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. God looks down from heaven on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And uh, our brother Dean is going to bring us the message. Do you know the great I am? Good morning, church. We had a guest speaker today all nicely tucked in and arranged for, and uh, he canceled. Um, then my next thought was, well, let's let's show a DVD, and we were going to have Dwight Nelson up here preaching his heart out. Then something happened to me this week that uh, changed my mind, and I'd like to uh, share some thoughts with you. And I might say this to start, 1 Corinthians 9.27 has been heavy on my heart for a number of years. When I have preached to others, could I myself be a castaway? I face these types of issues literally every day. This week was especially traumatic. Went to the bedside of a new patient. He looked as white as the sheet, white as that piece of paper. So instantly I knew something was wrong. Uh, then I heard his story. He looked in pain. As all I could do was write narcotic prescriptions to help his pain. And even that was not enough. He was in agony. A young man, early 50s, he had advanced cancer in every part of his body. And then I decided to um, spend a little extra time with him. And I asked him if I could pray for him. And before I did, he told me, in his mind, the worst part of the story. He said his daughter had come from Colorado to be with him. And she had just committed suicide in the last few hours. Here he was, helpless. And then this tragedy happened to him. So I, I cried out, Oh God, how long? It wasn't very long before I was with another person, young boy, in his early 20s, I think. He also looked as white as a sheet. And I'm saying to myself, oh, Lord. Then I learned that he has something called osteosarcoma. He's in his early 20s, my friends. He's got this disease everywhere in his body. He can hardly walk. Struggled to get into the clinic. Big bump on his head with tumor and everywhere else. And then I decided... You know, I just got to share, share Jesus with this, this family. Mother was with him. And so I said to the boy, I said, are, are you a Christian? 
And he, he mumbled something I couldn't understand, so I decided, well, I'll turn to the mother and ask her. We were walking down the hall by that time, and I said, are you a Christian? She looked at me and just fired it off, no. And my heart sank. And then she said, I believe in all religions. So we'll let the Lord sort that out. I have no wisdom to sort that out. I will keep suggesting the Lord to that family as this son is in his last days. So with these events, I decided not to show a DVD today to talk to you from my heart. And by the way, I'm talking to myself this morning. If you want to listen in, you're welcome. How long, O oh Lord, how long until you come? How long? How long will it be? How long will it be until you put all the sin, degradation, and, and hatred and agony on the head of Satan where it belongs? And I third of the evil angels with him. How long, O oh Lord? After six millenniums, and then we remember the words recorded in Revelation, the saints under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord, how long? Until you come in the clouds, and the great Maranatha occurs. I remind myself again, there'll just be two classes when Jesus comes. One class, says Isaiah, will cry out for the rocks and mountains to fall on them and hide them from the face of he who comes in the heavens. The other class will be those that say, Oh, Lord, welcome. You've come after me. You've come to save me. So with these thoughts in mind, and I draw off this morning from Trumbo and some thoughts from Max Licato, and then the rest will be some thoughts of my own. Do I know Jesus or do I just know about him? Do I know Jesus or do I just know about him? Have I heard of salvation, or have I experienced it? Is Jesus a feared judge to me, or is he my friend and savior? Is my mind fortified with scripture that he left for me, or is it just a book I carry around and peek in it once in a while? So let's plunge in today and try to determine why some will say to Jesus when he comes, Lo, this is my God. I have waited for him, and he will save me. And as I remember the words of Paul again, when I have preached to others, would I be a castaway? God abandoning people sounds cruel, but what happened when the door of Noah's Ark finally was shut? Does God abandon people as we abandon soda bottles? Consider this, for 120 years, as we know, Moses built the ark. He also proclaimed the coming flood, both by his actions and his words. He was representing God. Imagine people watching the construction of this strange box, listening to Noah's messages of warning. Somehow they all chose to be outside the ark when the door closed. Only Noah and his family, as we remember the story, as well as the animals, had entered the ark, huddled inside when the flood came. No, God did not abandon the world, but he did close that door to probation for them. The moment of grace was over for that generation, and they all perished. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall also it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man.
Why would all but Noah's family choose to be outside the ark? You'd think they might have been a few who would have given the ark a try. Why did they have to lose? What did they have to lose? If no flood had come, then everything would have been okay. But if the flood did come, they'd be safe. All but Noah's family rejected the warning. The people outside the ark possessed great confidence that things would continue as normal. No flood became the universal verdict. By the way, I'm borrowing these thoughts from this week's review. As Peter would write later, millenniums later, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. 2 Peter 3, 4. How could people be so sure themselves, so convinced that Noah made the whole thing up? The Bible gives a clue with a simple account of their lives. The generation living during the time of the flood was described as eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Matthew 24, 38. Did you catch the phrase? Did you catch the clue? It's easy to overlook. This verse portrays the passage of time, just as we are having a passage of time now. Life continued as normal, a reliable routine. We work, we eat, entertainment, sleep, and work, and eat. And it starts all over again. But then the flood came. People chose to flood their lives with non-God priorities. So did God abandon these people? Or the question is, did they abandon God? A busy life can consume our priorities, even the most heartfelt ones, such as family and God. A busy life is not necessarily a bad life by most standards. You know, the routine, the alarm clock sounds, get dressed, get the kids up, dress, quick breakfast, out the door. Kids to school, morning appointments, out for lunch, work late, surf the web, watch some TV, off to bed. And wow, the alarm clock rings again. And here we go again. Often our busy routine infringes upon our devotional time. Do we forget Jesus' words? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew 6.35 With many people today, finding regular time to read the Bible can be like asking a truck driver <laughs> to back an 18-wheeler into a small garage. It's just not going to happen. Now, I'm not suggesting that you need to track your devotional time with a stopwatch so you can qualify for heaven. Personal time with Jesus can't be forced, coerced, or done because your pastor made you feel guilty. It must be given. Jesus wants some of your precious time willingly given. No memorization required. No final exams to cram for. Just time to learn about Jesus. Slowly. It's not a race or a competition. Verse by verse, issue by issue. Driven. Oh, driven by a desire to know why. Why does he love me so much? Yeah. Why does he want me to, why does he want to adopt me into his eternity? eternal kingdom. Why do I still feel ashamed of my past mistakes? Have you abandoned your quiet time with the Bible? Would you like to get it back? 
not just for a few weeks, but as a daily yearning to know him. I am saying it should be memorable. These occasions and many more that may come to mind stick with us. They are imprinted on our minds. Paul had something to say about this. A pinnacle text in scripture. And do, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think about it. How can you remember something you read in the Bible last week during your quiet time with Jesus? In order for this time to be memorable, it must be meaningful. Would you permit me to give you a homey illustration that happened to me this week, yet also 40 years ago? How does that work? That's my point of the story. I'm convinced, and I learn about this again for the first time, all the time. And then I forget it. And then I remember it again. Everything we plant in our mind, good or bad, is there. It's there. Case in point. Forgive me for a homey story that happened to me. So I finished my week, and I'm on the way home in the car, and I'm hungry. So I grab a ripe banana. Immediately I smell the banana. Then I eat the banana. Instantly, my thoughts go back about 40 years to Mexico. Why Mexico? Well, I was on a field trip school of biology with Ernest Booth in Mexico many years ago in college. And let me tell you, we had bananas morning, noon, and night for three months. And I got so tired of bananas, I couldn't eat them for 10 years after we got back. But why, when I took that banana this week, and I smelled the banana, and I ate the banana, why did that trigger in my mind Mexico trip? How could that happen? And then I thought to myself, oh, Dean, that's a parable. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a truth. That's a salvation truth. Be careful what you put into your mind, because it's there forever. It's not only in your computer, my computer, it's in God's computer. How can you remember something you read in the Bible last week during your quiet time with Jesus? In order for this time to be memorable, it must be meaningful. Something must happen. God wants to leave an imprint, imprint on your soul. What did Paul say? By the renewing of your mind, the renewing of your mind. Make your time with Jesus more than a quick prayer with one hand on the doorknob. Remember Maury Vendon's so many famous sayings? <laughs> more than a quick text and then your hand on the doorknob. A quick prayer with one hand on the doorknob while headed to work. More than a quick impatient reading, impatient reading of a random chapter in the Bible. Let the story come alive, then chase after it. Here we go into a series of things that you all know. Well, let's review them. You know, I often like to talk about, when you read the Bible, go there yourself. Sit on the grassy hillside with Jesus. Be there as you hear him speak. Imagine in your mind's eye that you're there. Imagine the texture and the flavor of the flat unleavened bread at the Last Supper. You're there with the disciples. 
then grasp how the disciples reacted to the tender touch of the Savior walking, washing their dirty feet. Matthew 26, 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. And he broke it. And gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. Let the wind blow through your hair. Up in the tree where Zacchaeus was. And imagine his excitement as he scurried down from the perch after Jesus called out, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And I'm coming to eat with you, Zacchaeus. Tell your wife to get ready. <laughs> Luke 19.5 See the scorn on the faces of the people who witnessed this scene and said, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Luke 19.7 Hear the shame and the hope of healing in the two blind beggars as they cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Matthew twenty thirty. Be upset when John the Baptist is beheaded and feel injustice as the Roman guards abuse Jesus and spit in his face. Mark fourteen sixty five. Have you been there? Let the heat of the fire warm your skin on that night in that yard where Peter denied his Lord. Let the coldness of Peter's heart chill your bones as he denies being a disciple of Jesus. Have you stood beside him? Have you denied your Lord? Have I denied my Lord? Let the scenes come alive and try to experience what people felt. On that dark and dangerous night with the disciples, let's pick up the story. Lakato has written the following words as though one of the disciples had kept a diary that night of terror and wonderment. But first we'll read it from Scripture. Matthew 14, 22 onward. Jesus had just been up on the mountain and he had fed thousands and thousands of thousands of people men, women, and children, five loaves and two fishes. Verse 22, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. While he spent, sent the multitudes away, do you think he knew what was going to happen out there on the sea? And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, and the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out in fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And then Peter was come down out of the ship, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. 
And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they were come into the ship, Jesus and Peter, that is, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship, the disciples, came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Let's pick up the diary that one of the disciples might have written to put this in our language, in our time, in the storms that affect us as we go about our walkway to the kingdom. Only minutes before chaos had erupted, oh, how the storm roared. The stars were hidden by a black ceiling. Clouds billowed like smoke. Are you willing to go in the boat this morning? Bolts of lightning were the conductor's baton that cued the kettle drums of thunder to rumble. I well remember HMS Richard Sr. talking about going to that Lake Sea of Galilee, and he went out on a boat, and it was a little rough. I'll never forget him talking about it. And rumble they did. The clouds seemed to rise as a bear on hind legs and growl. The boom shook everything, the heavens and the earth, and most of all the sea. It was as if the Sea of Galilee were a bowl in the hands of a dancing giant. From the bowels of the lake the waves came, turning the glassy surface into a mountain range of snow-topped waves. Five, ten, even fifteen feet high, perhaps, the air they mounted, rising and falling like swallows chasing mosquitoes. In the midst of the sea our boat bounced. The waves slapped it as easily as children would a ball. Our straining at the oars scarcely budged it. We were at the storm's mercy. The waves lifted up so high that we felt like we were in midair. Then down in the valley we plunged. We were a twig in a whirlpool, a leaf in the wind. We were helpless. That's when the light appeared. At first I thought it was a reflection of the moon, a gleam on the surface of the water, but the night held no moon. I looked again and the light was moving toward us, not over the waves, but through them, I wasn't the only one who saw it. A ghost, someone screamed. Fear of the sea was eclipsed now by a new terror. Thoughts raced as the specter draw near. It was a figment of our imagination, was it? Was it a vision? Who, how, what? This mystical light that appeared. A flash of lightning illuminated the sky. For a second I could see its face. His face. A second... was all I needed. It was the master. He spoke. Take courage. It is I, he said. Don't be afraid. Nothing had changed. The storm still raged. The wind still shrieked. The boat still pitched. The thunder, the thunder still boomed. The rain still slapped. In the midst of the tumult, I could hear his voice. Although he was still far away, it was like he was by my side. The night was ferocious, yet he spoke as though the sea were placid and the sky silent. And somehow courage came. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water, Peter said. The voice was Peter's. He wasn't being cocky. He wasn't demanding proof. He was scared. Like me, he knew what this storm could do. He knew that the boat would soon go down. 
Are you in the boat yet? He knew that Jesus was standing up and he knew where he wanted to be. He wanted to be by Jesus' side, where we all want to be. Come on, Jesus invited. So Peter climbed over the side and stepped into the sea. Before he opened a trail through a forest of waves, he stepped quickly. Water splashed, but he kept going. This path to Jesus was a ribbon of calm. It was peaceful and serene. Amazing. Jesus radiated light at the end of the trail. Smiling, Peter stepped toward the light like it was his only hope. He was halfway there when all we heard, when he heard the thunder. It boomed and he stopped. I saw Peter turn his head. He looked up to the sky. He looked up at the clouds. He felt the wind. He took his eyes off Jesus and down he went. A hand came through the water sheets and grabbed Peter. Lightning flashed again and I could see the face of Jesus. I noticed that his smile was gone. Hurt covered his face. It was like he couldn't believe that we couldn't believe. Danger to us, just a detour to him. He wanted to, I wanted to ask him, aren't you afraid, Jesus? Aren't you afraid? But I said nothing. Remember, a disciple is writing a diary. But I said nothing. Before I knew it, he was in the boat with us. The sea, the sea stilled as silk. The winds hushed. A canyon opened in the clouds. Soft moonlight fell over the water. It happened instantaneously. It didn't take the rest of the night. It didn't take an hour. It didn't take a minute. It happened in a blink. From chaos to calm, from panic to peace, the sky was so suddenly silent that I could hear my voice pounding. I thought I was dreaming. Then I saw the wide eyes of the others and felt my clothing soaked against the skin. This was no dream. I looked at the water. I looked at Peter. I looked at the others. And then I looked at the Master. And I did the only thing I could have done with the stars as my candles and the stilled boat as my altar, I fell on my knees at his feet, and I worshipped him. There are times in a person's life when even in the midst of the storms, you'll know you'll never be the same. Moments that forever serve as journey posts, and this was one of them for the disciples. I had never seen Jesus as I saw him then. I had seen him as a powerful miracle worker. I had seen him as a wise man giving salvation truths. I had witnessed his authority in bringing the dead to life. I had seen these things. I had marveled at his abilities. But what I witnessed that night, I will never forget because he saved me. I saw God. The God who can't sit still when the storm is too strong. The God who lets me get frightened enough to need him. And then comes close enough for me to see him. The God who uses my storms as his paths to come to me. Yes, I saw God that night. It took a storm for me to see him, even though I'd been with him for many months by now. But I saw him, and I, well, I will never be the same again. Have you seen the Lord? Have I seen the Lord? 
they'd do it again, I'm confident they would. The disciples would go into the same boat and ride through the same storm. They'd do it again in a heartbeat. Why? Because through the storm, they saw the Savior, the great I Am. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, truly, you are the Son of God. After the storm, they worshipped him. They had never, as a group, done that before. Never. Check it out. Open your Bible. Search for a time when the disciples corporately worshipped him. You won't find it. You won't find them worshipping when he heals the leper, or forgives the adulteress, or preaches to the masses. They were willing to follow willing to leave family, willing to cast out demons, willing to be in the army of God. But they hadn't worshipped him corporately. Simple. This time they were the ones who were saved. This time they were the ones who were saved. Have I experienced that of you? Their necks were removed from the noose. Their bodies were plucked from the deep. One minute they were dangling over the edge of the abyss, staring into the throat of the slack-jawed canyon. The next they were sitting down on the inside of the boat, wide-eyed on the deck of the boat that was still on a placid sea. And so there they worshipped him. Truly, you are the Son of God. They did the only thing they could do when their death sentence was stayed at the eleventh hour. They looked to the eternal governor who gave the pardon, pardon and thanked them. The great I am. When you recognize God as creator, you will admire him. When you recognize his wisdom, you will learn from him. When you discover his strength, you will rely on him. But only when he saves you will you worship him. It's a before and after scenario. Before your rescue, you could easily keep God at a distance, comfortably dismissed, neatly shelved. Sure, he is important. But so was your career, your status, your salary. He was high on your priority list, but he shared the spot with others. Then came the storm, the rage, and the fight, the ripped moorings, the starless night. Despair fell like a fog. Your bearings were gone. In your heart you knew there was no exit. Turn to your career for help. Only if you want to hide from the storm, not escape it. Lean on your status for strength. A storm isn't impressed with your title. Rely on your salary for rescue? Many try and they always fail. Suddenly you are left with one option. God, the great I am. And when you ask, genuinely ask, he will come. And from that moment on, he's not just a deity to admire, a teacher to observe, or a master to obey. He is the Savior, the Savior to be worshipped. The great I am. That's why I'm convinced that the disciples would do it again. They'd endure the storm another night, a thousand other nights, if that's what it took to see the great I am. A season of suffering is a small price to pay for a clear view of the great I am. And to experience the great I am. After you've spent meaningful time with the Word, take another important step. Share it with someone else. You won't be able to help yourself. 
Have a partner, a prayer partner. Join a Bible study group. Set a time apart each day. Focus on this time not on a discussion of Bible history or difficult facts, but rather on how the Word incarnate, God, touched your heart. If you do that, you cannot help to share it. A healthy devotional life requires regular ways to share our experiences with others. Sometimes our daily routine with the Bible, if allowed, will get stale and moldy. Who likes stale and moldy? However, God can create memorable routines for us. For example, every day the sun sets. Why do any, do any two sunsets look alike? The last time you saw a beautiful sunset with flowing colors of pink and orange and purple and blue, many variations, did you say, oh, just another sunset? It happens every day. Most likely not. Matter of fact, you will tell your friend or your spouse about this beautiful sunset that touched your heart. Before you saw the house with boarded-up windows and knee-high grass, there was trouble. Before a car gets abandoned beside the road, there was trouble. Before Noah and his family got into the ark, there was big trouble. God invites you to the ultimate, the banquet, where he provides all the food and the robe for you to wear. Check it out. Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He wants to spend meaningful time with you. He wants to touch your heart and mind and being every morning. Why not give it a try? I close with these words. I found them recently, author unknown. When you release up to God what your hands control, God releases back to you what his hands control. And that, that is eternal life with him. O oh Lord, come quickly, come quickly. May we hear the words one day soon. Come, ye blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Amen. Shall we pray? Jesus, we're so thankful that you came and you died for us. Lord, help us every day, every day, every morning, every noon, every night, and in between, to remember the words of Isaiah. I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. In Jesus' name, amen.